that is much like it used to be in the Old Testament is what I believe. Uh, it will be used specifically but won't be prevalent like it is in us as believers. So Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit <clears throat> uh, would be taken out of the way. In other words, that work of blocking the revelation of the Antichrist would be removed and the Antichrist would be revealed. Uh, not that the Holy Spirit won't work at all, because, because during the tribulation, many are saved. We know that the uh, many of the Jews are sealed, sealing of the 144,000, and there are people who serve God during this time. Without the working of the Spirit at all, those things could not happen, right? Uh, so we do know the Spirit will be present in some manner, uh, but at least that part that is holding back the revelation of the Antichrist will be taken out of the way. And so that, that will, he'll be able to be revealed. Now this will be, a, may, you may be able to refer to the tribulation as a different dispensation. I mean, knows that we live in a dispensation of grace, right? That God deals with us through grace. What is grace? Merit and favor, unearned, right? Uh, or God's riches at Christ's expense is another way uh, of saying that. Uh, so we are currently in a dispensation of grace. There may be a change of the dispensation during that time, although there will have to be some grace, right, uh, in order for people to be saved. So uh, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So what do you think of when I say that? The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Look around, right? Uh, so the, the devil is already working in that arena, that particular area. Um, I, I don't know if you have noticed all of those things, but a lot of things, just from the time I was born to now, which I'm really young, you know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, just during that time, a lot of things that the world, even if they didn't know Jesus, would say was right, is now considered wrong. There's this lawlessness. What about, and I hate to point out states, but there are certain states where now you get convicted of a crime, they go book you, and then they just let you get out of jail. You know, that's happening. I mean, that's lawlessness, right? Uh, no repercussions, at least immediate repercussions, for breaking the law in many places. In the United States, that's unthinkable. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes they won't even arrest them if they don't feel like it's a great enough offense. There is already at work in the world a spirit of lawlessness. It's not necessarily new wickedness, but the intensity is at a great greater level, right? So we already see that working. Imagine once the church has been caught up, how crazy this world could get, right? Because 
many times, not only is it the Holy Spirit, but it's the church that has an influence, hopefully, on the world to make things not be quite as bad as it would be whenever there aren't any Christians, right, around. This is already right now. It's already happening. Uh, once that happens, once the church is raptured, this mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and then somebody will be revealed. What is it referred to as? Well, we called him Antichrist last last week. What what does this particular verse say? Who will be revealed? The lawless one, right? Lawless will be revealed. Uh, that's in chapter, that's in, I think it's verse 8. Yeah. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So uh, there's a timeline, even during tribulation, that we see that God is uh, spelling out here. Um, the lawless one will be revealed. When the Holy Spirit removes the restraint, then the lawless one uh, will be revealed. But what happens to the lawless one? you like, he jumps immediately to, doesn't start talking about what will happen during the tribulation, but that the lawless one will have something happen to him. What is that? Not, not only be revealed, but what's that, that last verse? He'll be consumed, and what else? Yeah. He'll be consumed, destroyed, by the brightness of Jesus at his coming. Wow. That's talking about the very end of the age, right? When Jesus returns. Because when Jesus returns for his church, not everybody will know it has happened or will see it, right? Because we'll go up to meet him, right? The first, in, during the rapture, the Lord doesn't touch the earth. At least that's the way we read it, right? But we're caught up to meet him. Uh, so there is a little bit of a, a difference there. Uh, Isaiah eleven fourteen 14 uh, talks about the Lord destroying uh, the wicked one. Last time we talked about could the Antichrist already be alive? Absolutely, could be. He has not been revealed yet but he could be alive. The Bible doesn't tell us if, we'll, if we as Christians will know, but I don't believe we would. It says that he won't be revealed uh, as a whole, you know, to the world. I don't believe we would know either because I think that would tell us, it would give us a time frame of when the Lord was going to come, right? And, and that's not going to come, that's not going to happen because he says that he's going to come like a thief in the night, right? How many, I'm raising my hand, would tell your loved ones if you knew who the Antichrist was and he was alive right now? Yeah, we'd be pointing him out and we'd be saying, you, you got to watch this guy. You better repent and get right with the Lord, right? 
is things are going to turn bad. The man of sin will be destroyed by Jesus Christ himself. He, the brightness of his coming will destroy him. Well, we see historically that Satan has used many people historically to do many, many terribly wicked evil things. I mean, I don't know historically, at least for the children of God, for the Jews, if anyone this point would ever match up to what Hitler did. You know, six million Jews. And I've been to that um, that museum there. I don't know, did you all get to go? The museum there in Israel uh, that's uh, the Holocaust Museum. And uh, the thing that struck me when I came out is I hadn't really thought about it, but over one million of those were kids. For one million, there's a, a monument there as you come out of it, uh, and that just kind of it broke my heart, you know, to think about that. Uh, not that adults, you know, we, you know, that we wouldn't be sad about that too, but uh, to just think about that. But so, yeah, Satan already always has somebody that he's using uh, to do destruction and evil, and uh, so uh, we see that already at work. Certainly, it seems the intensity of wickedness is uh, growing, right? Let's read verses 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So you got to know the truth. I'm getting ahead of myself, but you got to know the truth to get saved, right? Uh, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Uh, so the Antichrist will have some power. It shows us here that he'll he'll have some power, uh, and uh, he'll have signs. And an interesting thing is lying wonders. In other words, there'll be deception. I mean, knows that the devil is the father of lies, right? Of all lies. And so uh, there could be some things that look like miracles that he does that are lying wonders uh, that happen uh, during the time that he is uh, doing his work on the earth. Um, and all of this, he's working the works of Satan. The type of work that the Antichrist will do, chiefly, primarily, is that he'll do the work of Satan. Those works will include signs, lying wonders, and unrighteous deception. You can see that in verses 9 and 10, which we just read. Is everyone who does signs and wonders working for the Lord? No. Even in our day, Satan still has power, and people who turn their lives over to him, he will use them to do evil, 
right? Uh, even though we're not in the great tribulation, but yet Satan's still at work, right? And he still has some power. Now, his power doesn't compare to the Lord, right? Uh, and we're children of the king, so we don't have to be fearful of him, but there is a working of evil in our present world, right? Uh, so it's important for us to, to understand and know that, that even people who are doing what look like very powerful, amazing things could be being used by the devil. But there are also powerful, wonderful, miraculous things that God does, right? I mean, how many of you ever seen a miracle? I can say that I have. I've been a part of one. And it was a godly miracle, right? I mean, I know I've given this testimony before about just growing up all my life due, due to a birth defect. Uh, uh, my, I had a crooked foot, number one. I had to have surgery on that twice, but I had my left leg, which was shorter than my right by over an inch. I'm in a meeting, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a God's just moving. Miraculous things are happening. People who's was just down in their back, you know, they were standing straight, miracles happening, uh, and there was a, a person in the back praying for an older gentleman, and he stood up and he said, there's somebody here who has who was born with a birth defect, and one of the results of that is one leg is shorter than the other. I looked at my wife, she looked at me, and we both said, that's, that's you, that's me, right? Uh, so, and the short and long of it is, before they could even lay hands on me, yeah, the short and the long of it, <laughs> is that God miraculously, something shifted in my hip and my leg grew out by over an inch. To, and it's confirmed. I went to the chiropractor who had been for years working on me. You know, I said, Doc, I need to know. He's a good Christian man. I said, I need to know. I felt like something happened, but I want confirmation. When I give this testimony, I want people to know that it's been confirmed, right? Sure enough, he laid me on that table, pulled my legs up, and said, never seen it like this before. It's never been even like this. And so even after an adjustment, never even. God still does miracles, right? Uh, the enemy still does powerful things, signs, and wonders. Now, there are those, it's mentioned here, who perish, and they perish because they don't receive the love of the truth. Isn't that an interesting way to say that? They don't receive the love of the truth. So you got, you got to love the truth. What is, what, what is it? I'm just going to say it. Jesus said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. So you got to have a love of the truth, the very definition of the truth is, is Jesus, the character, the essence, the person of Jesus. He is truth. So you have to have a love of truth in order to not perish. And it tells us here that for those who reject Christ, that God will send a strong delusion upon them. 
Now, that may seem cruel, but the issue is they already had an opportunity to receive Christ. We're talking about the end of the world, the end of the age here. And they've already had an opportunity to know God and to know the love of God. And so there'll be a strong delusion that comes upon them uh, and they will reject God and receive the Antichrist. The delusion is means they'll believe a lie. So, say it again. It'll seem, yeah, it'll seem like, well, this, this looks right. You know, uh, we can be delusional uh, even, you know, now. We can believe that something's true and it may not be. But at that time, the Lord will allow them to receive that lie. And when they're, if we think about it and we get real deep and kind of nerdy about it, if Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, and the Bible describes Satan as what? The father of lies. So if they believe the lie, then who are they believing upon? Satan, right? Uh, and that's kind of a long way around way to get there, but uh, they are believing in Satan. Sometimes people could reject, 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 reject God even in our time. And if they don't watch it, they'll believe that lie. They'll, and they'll never know the Lord. The world as a whole, now we know that there's some, and I, I still think those who will believe upon the Lord, I, I, I still think, I strongly believe that it'll be people who heard the message at one point, didn't receive it, but then after they saw everything happen, that that we yeah, the the things of God were real. Now they'll have to get by this delusion, right? That's another milestone to get by in order to be saved that God allows to happen. And if they believe the lie, was that last sentence say there? That they will be condemned. And that condemnation, that condemning will be, they'll receive the judgment of God. Right? Uh, that is, honestly, the judgment of God was not initially meant for Mankind was initially meant for Satan and his fallen angels, right? But if we believe the lie, don't accept Christ, then there is a judgment, a condemnation that comes uh, to those who don't believe the Lord. There's evidence that that's wrong and this is right, but yet in their mind, it'll be the opposite. Sleight of hand, delusion that's happening. Yeah, and you like, oh, wow, that lion really did appear out of nowhere, you know. <laughs> delusion is despite evidence for the contrary. They still believe the lie. That's a good definition. 
I, I think we do have to be cautious. You started with that. I personally now would not ever go to a hypnotist because anytime we submit ourselves and empty our brain to to receive something, we, we could be receiving something from the devil right, instead of God. Uh, so we have to be very cautious. The Bible never tells us to empty our mind. It says to think on these things which are good. Your tape talked about that. We're good, lovely, pure. Uh, it says to uh, think on pure thoughts, all those kinds of things to, to uh, uh, meditate on the Lord, right? So it never tells us to empty our mind. And, and, and you see a, there are some religions out there. I'm trying to behave myself, but there are some religions that they talk about meditation, but they're emptying their mind to receive something into it, and you have to be cautious. Is that coming from the Lord? Or is it coming somewhere else? Right? So I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, let's read verses 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. Isn't that good news? We didn't choose God. God chose us, right? Now, you may say, well, I, I made a decision. I walked the aisle. I, I, I came uh, and, and prayed. I did. Well, there's an aspect of that, but it was the Holy Spirit that drew you and chose you to come, right, to the Lord. So nobody comes to the Lord, Father except through Jesus, right? So God from the beginning chose you for salvation, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Again, you got to believe in the truth. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So who gets the glory for salvation and sanctification? Jesus does, right? The Lord does. Uh, so here Paul is just giving thanks to the Lord uh, for the Thessalonians and for how God had moved in them and saved them and sanctified them. Uh, he's giving thanks for that glorious work that God done in that church and in those people. He's saying we're bound to give thanks. We need to do that. How many knows that we need to give thanks? Amen? Do you ever just thank God for saving you? You ever thought about that? I mean, you know, it, it, it's a simple thing, but he didn't have to. We didn't have to get another day, did we? He, he woke us up, right? Uh, but we ought to be thankful for the simple things, not just the miracles, not just the healings. Because I'm telling you that gratitude is a powerful thing in the kingdom of God. It really is. It, it, it's very powerful. We need to be thankful for what God has done for us. Let me just challenge you. When you feel down and out, when you feel like nobody loves you, when you feel like you're unimportant, when you feel like 
you don't have very many possessions, when you feel like all those things, let me challenge you, just start praying and thanking God for what you do have. Because you'll find that what you do have is probably more valuable than what you listed that you don't have, right? Uh, and, and so it, it's powerful uh, that if we do that. God chose you from the beginning for salvation. It's God's sovereign choice. I did not get into uh, predestination on purpose, but but God chose you, right? Know that. And God not only saves you, but he sa- chose you and he sanctifies you. I'm old enough to remember when a lot of people, when you had testimony service, and we don't have enough of those, and people would get up, and you can help me repeat, you can help me finish this. I thank God that I'm saved and and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's in Pentecostal realms, right? Sanctification is a process. Sanctification, when you get saved, saved, you're saved. You're saved. If you were to die right after getting saved, you're going to go to heaven. But there's a process that God takes us through that sanctifies us. It is a process. Because just because you got saved doesn't mean all your actions are perfect. Aren't you glad to know that? Because I'd be worried about my salvation if every time that I made a mistake or had an error or, 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 or accidentally sinned or whatever, I'd be worried about my salvation, but sanctification is a process, right? Uh, and, it, and it occurs from the time we get saved until the time we die, right? Uh, and he is, has saved us. I'll say something controversial. He has saved us and he is saving us. That's what sanctification is about. Some days we get up and we just don't feel much like Jesus. Some days we, <laughs> and we have to grow, right? All right, let's move to verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. One of the most valuable lessons you will ever learn in your Christian walk is to stand fast. Truth. I didn't say it's easy. I said it's the most valuable, one of the most valuable things you can ever learn is to just stick with it. Some days going to be up, some days down. Some days, you know, you're going to feel like you, you're growing in the Lord. Some days you'll feel like you fell flat. But if you just hold on, you stand fast in the Lord, you'll begin to grow in Him. And you might not go like this, but you might inch your way up. And up in a little fall, and up in a, you know, you're, you're, you're being sanctified by the Lord over time. Sunday I talked about time. We ought to be very thankful for God's gift of time. The sanctification doesn't happen in Hold fast. 
every newly saved Christian needs to hear that message. And you need to tell them. Because if they're your friend and they came to church and they got saved, don't make them think they got to be perfect right away. Because if you do, you're doing them an injustice. And don't even think they need to be quite at the level that you are. Right? Because we're all at different levels growing in the Lord. So stand fast. Hold the traditions. Many times we talk about traditions negatively. I've done it before. Oh, we don't we don't have to do it this way. We could do it that way. But I will say that there are some value to some traditions because they're the way we learned how to do things in service for the Lord. Not all traditions in the faith are bad or negative. I'm thankful for some of the traditions I grew up with as a Pentecostal kid, son of a deacon. Deacon kids are bad sometimes, I'm telling you. Not as bad as preacher's kids. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. Uh, but are you, are, you, are you thankful for some of the traditions that you learned that helped you? Not the traditions that bound you, because there's some that might, but traditions where you learn to grow in the Lord and know, learn more about Him. Right? Some churches have given up traditions such as Sunday school. I don't like giving up things like that. You see? Because I, I grew up in Sunday school. I was exposed to the Bible from the time I was a baby. Right? And every so many years, I'm getting the major themes, the major biblical themes. And then as an adult, what is it, Bill? Every seven years, you go through the Bible in our in our Sunday school material, okay? That's a good tradition, right? Uh, don't forsake all of the traditions. If they hinder you from serving the Lord, you got to look at them. Stand fast. Why do you got to stand fast? Because you may experience persecution and tribulation. I didn't say you'd go through the great tribulation, but you may experience some persecution and some tribulation, right? Stand fast because you need to understand the times that we live in, that the Lord could come back at any moment. The world could be judged. Stand fast because the deception of Satan is still at work right now, right? We've got to stand fast. Stand fast because it will bring glory to God. I need to be careful how I say this. But, you know, many times we're in awe of the person who gives this tremendous testimony of this wicked lifestyle that they lived, but then God miraculously transforms them. And that is a tremendous testimony. I'm not... Hey, if you have that testimony, praise God. 
But there's also a testimony that God has kept us, that we have stood fast, that we haven't given up on the Lord, that we have remained in the faith, right? That's a good testimony too, amen? Uh, that we haven't uh, backslid, that we haven't, you know, uh, done those things. So traditions can be good. They can also be dangerous. Uh, but what he's talking about here is not just any traditions, but the apostles' teachings, right? Hold. He's saying hold to the apostles' teachings, those traditions, those things that taught, right? Let's look at verses 16 and 17. Finish up. Paul ends up with a prayer here for the Thessalonians. Aren't you glad that people pray for you? If you don't pray for me, please start. I need it. As a shepherd of the house, I, I desire and want your prayer and need your prayer. I don't think that I'm some at an elevated level where I don't need nobody else's prayer. I'm telling you, I know I need other people's prayer. He's, he's praying for them. Now may our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, I should say, himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, may comfort your hearts and establish you every good word and work. Notice there's not just establish you in every good work, but every good word and work. So the first thing we see there is that God has loved us. That's powerful. If, you, if I went over your head, you missed everything else I said tonight, just get that. That God loves us, right? Uh, that would be a powerful insight, a powerful revelation that God loves us. I believe Paul was thankful that God loved him. Not many of us came from what he came from to be used by God. I mean, his name wasn't always Paul, was it? He was Saul. And he wasn't always following after Jesus. He thought he was living right. He thought he was doing a righteous thing, actually persecuting Christians and having them sent to jail and most likely killed. Then God got a hold of him. Right? Aren't you thankful <laughs> for your own self? No matter what your background is, that God got a hold of you, that God loved you. It, it, it's, it's just powerful to know that he loves you uh, and he's done a work of hope. Look at that. Everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Good hope. Isn't, it, isn't, isn't what God does for us just good? Amazing. God's been better to me than anybody else I know. I've had some people be pretty good to me, but nobody's ever been as good to me as the Lord. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be looking forward to a home in heaven without what he's done for me. 
he's been good to me. May he comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So, we ought to be hearing his word, and we ought to not only be doing work, but allowing him to do a work in us. You ever thought about it that way? That God's working on you? That's, that's a part of prayer. We're going to have a time of fasting and prayer from January 11 to 21, and maybe a great prayer for a whole day or every day. It's just God continue working on you. God will comfort your hearts. He'll establish you. Aren't you glad for God establishing you? Making something out of you. Pulling you out of whatever you were in before, knowing the Lord. Right? He's establishing you. Establish brings to mind to me a firm foundation. Uh, and God has established us. I'm going to go through the questions. So question number one. Paul was likely referring to the what? Holy Spirit restraining the, the working or the revealing of the Antichrist. The Holy Spirit will stop all his work when the church is raptured. True or false? False. Why? Why do we know that's not true? Because some people are going to get three words. Saved, sealed, They'll serve God. That doesn't happen without the working of the Holy Spirit. What will the Lord do to the lawless one, according to verse 8? He'll consume him with the breath of his mouth. Is that, I think that's what it says. And he'll destroy him with the brightness of his coming. The Lord's coming back, people. Did I skip three? I sure did. What is already at work in the world, according to verse 7? Mystery of lawlessness. So I did four, now I'm on to five, right? What type of work will the Antichrist do? The work of Satan, which signs, yeah, signs, power, mind wonders, deception. Right? Verse 11. Why do people believe the lie, according to verse 11? God sends them a strong delusion. We didn't talk about this. Question number eight. Notice it says the lie and not a lie. Go all the way back to Genesis. And Satan shows up, and he's talking to Eve. I don't know where Adam's at. He's checked out, like sometimes men do. And Satan is doing this work of deception. And he says, 
did God say that you couldn't eat of any of these trees? So he's getting her all, he's already, she's already, he's already laying this foundation of not believing God's word. Okay? So, and then he says, oh, she, she repeats probably what Adam has told her because it never tells us that God told Eve not to eat of this. It for sure tells us that he told Adam. And she rehearses what Adam has told her. No, we can't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. We can't eat of that because if we eat of it or even touch it, we're going to die, right? And then what does the devil through the serpent say? Surely not, right? Surely that won't happen. So deception. Then he hears the lie. Then he says, God told you that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quoting, okay? I'm, this, this is a Brian Roberts interpretation, okay? Uh, yes, paraphrasing. He says, as soon as you eat of this, God knows that you will be like him and that you will become like God. Wow. So what is the lie? The lie is that, number one, God's not really God. And number two is that uh, we can become gods. Little g. Right? So that's, that's the lie. The lie is God's not really who he says he is. And because he calls her to question his word. Right? And that you can become like a God if you'll just do what you want to do here. What did God choose the Thessalonians for, according to verse 13? He chose them for salvation. Praise the Lord. He chose us for salvation, right? What does Paul exhort the Thessalonians to do, according to verse 15? Stand fast and hold the traditions that you were taught. 